I am Sue. Very grateful member of the Al-Anon family groups because today I love an alcoholic and this is the Friday night God I want to step study and it is uh, December the 7th. Yay, the holidays are over and we are on step nine. So if you uh, pissed anybody off during the holidays, we're going to talk about how to straighten that out. <laughs> so, I'm sure it happened somewhere. Okay, step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. The key word in this step is wherever. A lot of people want to say whenever, and that's not right. It's wherever, which means that these amends are made when... Um, the feelings, when when you're okay with yourself and you're in good God consciousness, you will know the right time to make amends. It will be an automatic. And uh, I highly suggest that people don't force amends, and I highly suggest that you don't do any amends in this program until your sponsor and you get to this step. When I do the fifth step with people I sponsor, I do it exactly the way it was done with me when I went through the steps, is that when I did my fifth step with my sponsor, and this is the way I pass it on, is that uh, we go through the four-step inventory, and included in that four-step inventory is a page for uh, you know all of the resentments, the four columns. There's a page for fears. There's a page for a sex inventory. There's a page for uh, character defects. And there's a page for the amends, which is the eighth step. And so when I'm doing a fifth step uh, with someone I sponsor, we go through that eight-step list. And we look at each person individually on that eighth step and how the amends need to be made. And like I said, I strongly, strongly suggest do not make those amends before you get to this point in your program. There was a lady uh, that I sponsored one time that uh, she had a child out of wedlock and the father did not know it, and she contacted him. And uh, she wanted to make amends and tell him about his child and all that kind of stuff, and he had married since then, him and his wife did not know he had a child out there, and uh, it caused a lot of problems in the other family. And so it says in this step, except when to do so would injure them or others. So we need to take uh, precautions in that area. If it's going to cause pain to others, it's not right. Also, uh, it might be considered that where it says, or others, that you might be the other. Um, as I've shared before and in my story, um, I gave a child up for adoption when I was in my early teens. And uh, when I came to this step, my sponsor told me it was best to not go back into those people's lives. I didn't know if that child knew it was adopted or anything like that. And uh, I had no guilt because I felt comfortable that I'd done the right thing for that child and I wasn't going to go back into their lives and open old wounds. And it says that the, uh, in the al 12 and 12 on page... 57, the last paragraph, would an apology open an old wound? Is this the right moment to make good the hurt that was afflicted? Might we be tempted to brush off our conduct because a person offended was someone we didn't care much about anyway? With the help of others, we find that our likes and dislikes have nothing to do with our obligations of making amends. One of the purposes of step nine was to gain peace of mind for ourselves by erasing our feelings of guilt. And so if you're doing these things to buy off your guilt, it's wrong. Uh, this is a step of freedom to make everything right, to clean up our side of the street. And uh, 
So we take great pains in doing this. It says uh, the key word in this step is direct. This helped us to avoid debating the issue when we were tempted to choose the right kind of amends that would be least painful or embarrassing to us wherever possible. The amends were made directly to the person we had harmed. So that's where we need to be into honesty and with a sponsor because a sponsor can direct us um, what is the right manner in which to do that. Um, in doing receiving fifth steps with ladies, uh, I've heard all kinds of things that um, involved uh, infidelity, incarceration, all kinds of stuff. And if the current spouse or relationship does not know about these things that happen during the active disease of alcoholism in our life, it could tear up a marriage and a relationship to be honest and tell that person about it. And so a lot of times I believe that the amends, the correct way to make some amends is... Uh, to not brush it off, but to not go into the gory details and say, you know, I was wrong. I have done a lot of things in this marriage and in this relationship that I know have caused you pain. And I want you to know that I'm trying to do what's right and live a spiritual way of life, and I'm trying to change. And I want you to know that I was wrong, and I want to make amends for that. And uh, that way you don't dig up old stuff and you don't hurt anybody. Further, uh, with those kind of uh, things, we don't give our fifth steps to members of our families. Many of us in Al-Anon realize that among the important men's are those we owed to that very alcoholic we blame for all the problems that be had beset us in the past. Before we began to live by the Al-Anon program, it was difficult for us to admit we might have been at fault. Yet we realized that what we did before we knew better may still have to be faced. And uh, I know that for myself and as well as uh, all of us, is that there were things that I did to the alcoholic that I was not proud of. And I always blamed him. If he hadn't been doing that, I wouldn't have had to act like that. You know, uh, I robbed him of his dignity a lot. Uh, when his clothes were out on the front lawn and he had to tell the neighbors, I think she's having a yard sale, you know, I'm sure it was very embarrassing to him. You know, uh, when I told everybody that I just got back from bailing him out of jail, I'm sure that was very embarrassing for him because I wanted everybody to know how bad he was, especially our uh, our parents. So I would look like the, uh, you know, with the palm with the back of the hand on the forehead. Poor me, the Elanon salute. You know, feel sorry for me. Now we're going to be deprived of living money because it took X amount of dollars to get him out of jail, so would you send us the money to cover it? And I uh, always did those kind of things. One of the purposes of step nine was to gain peace of mind for ourselves by erasing our feelings of guilt. This was, in one sense, making amends to ourselves, not to be overlooked when we are working with step nine. <coughs> and what I got to find out when I did my eighth step that a lot of the people that were on that list didn't even know what I'd done to them. I worked with a lady that uh, she was a supervisor and she was very sweet to me and did all kinds of things for me to help me uh, develop and progress in my career. But when I'd go into the lunchroom and everybody was uh, bad-mouthing her and gossiping about her, putting her down and talking about what a witch she was, I always chimed in. And uh, so after I got in the program, and this is why I know that it's so important to not do these amends before we get to this step, is that after I left that company and got into this program, I called her up one day and asked her out for dinner. 
and uh, we had dinner, and I told her about all of that, and that I wanted to make amends for uh, being part of that ugly situation and putting her down and all the things that we'd said about her, and I told her the things that we'd said about her because I was so uh, stupid, and she was very, very hurt. She was very, very hurt. Uh, early on, I uh, mailed a letter to my mother and told her uh, all the things that I didn't like about her, but nevertheless, you are my mother, and uh, you and I will have to get along no matter what. And I'm trying to change and do what's right, but you have some things that are bugging me too. <laughs> so uh, those are the experiences that I have had that I know is wrong way to make amends. So, um, with my daughter, uh, with the alcoholic, it was a, a blanket amends like I suggested earlier, because he basically knew all the things that I'd done anyway. I knew all the things that he had done. I mean, we'd been together uh, 15 years before we got to this program, and uh, when I got to this step, I had to make amends to him, and I told him, I know I haven't been the best wife and person to you that I could have been and I blamed you for a lot of things that were not your fault and I want you to know that I love you very much I support your sobriety and I'm trying to change and uh, you know I want to make amends to you and uh, those amends were accepted um, what we have to keep in mind in doing this step is that we need to be prayed up. We need to be working with a sponsor and follow sponsor direction on uh, who and how to make these amends, but we definitely need to be prayed up. There were people in my past that uh, if I saw them and they came into my life, I knew that was the time, if I hadn't seen them in a long time. And some of these friends, the best way to to make those amends to them was to say, Hi, how are you doing? I hope you're having a good life. You know, and be cordial and nice and loving to them instead of saying, Remember when we did this and we did that, you know, and uh, I retaliated and did this or that to you? You know, all of that brings up old stuff. And they've, and people that are uh, high by friends, what I call call them because if you're in a good place and doing what they want to do then they're your friend and a lot of my relationships like that were one-sided anyway they wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have been putting the effort into it and so it's those kind of amends uh, that I have to realize that uh, they're direct amends but it's not what I say it's how I say it and I show them loving concern so Perhaps we were too free with advice, which in the end actually increased difficulties for ones that we were trying to help. Oh my gosh, how many times did we think we were helping others and we were only adding chaos to their lives? Now, those kind of things need to be looked at with that eight-step list. Now, with my daughter, like I was going to say before, when I made amends to her, I told her that I wasn't the best mother that uh, she had probably hoped for and that I'd done things to hurt her and to harm her and that I was trying to change and I loved her very much and I said, I don't want to ever do anything to hurt you or harm you anymore. I love you very much. And uh, my amends to her were to be the very best mother I could be to her every day, one day at a time every day and uh, her and I it took a long time for her and I to get a relationship going <coughs> she had a lot of resentments toward me and uh, they were justified because when Keith and I would get through fighting I would turn around and and I would take the rest of that rage out on her and uh, I didn't think she'd ever forgive me and uh, we have a beautiful relationship today because she has a program and I have a program. You know, she's forgiven me for the things that I did. However, uh, right before she uh, went to Italy, she went to Italy to model when she was 20 or 21. 
and uh, we had been to an AA Christmas party, and uh, Keith and I were talking after we came home from these AA people's house, we were talking about some of the AA ladies there that had kind of shined me on because I was the only Ellen on there. And they said thing. They said to me they were talking about uh, going to jail and doing stuff. And they said they looked at me and they said, "Oh, Sue, we know you're an Al-Anon and you don't identify with this. Uh, so we don't mean to leave you out of the conversation." And one of the long-timer AA women there said, "Wait a minute. Don't judge a book by its cover." This lady's been through more than you've ever dreamed of. She makes you look like a kindergartner. And she said, don't you ever make a comment to like that to anybody in this program ever again. And uh, so Keith and I were talking about that after we got home. And, uh, and I told my response to that gal had been, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm just an Al-Anon, you know. Uh, I gave a child up for adoption. I went to jail. You know, uh, I embezzled. I wrote hot checks. But other than that, you probably wouldn't identify with my story either because I'm an Al-Anon. And, uh, and I said, I gave a child up for adoption. And Simone heard it. Now, many times, I mean, she had heard me share in the program. Um, she came in the program when she was 13, and so she's right at 19 or 20 years old at this point. Many times when Keith and I were having fights, he would put me down and throw that in my face. But Simone never heard it. It wasn't a secret, but she never heard it until that night. And so Keith went to a meeting, and uh, she sat down with me, and she said, Mom, what are you talking about? I thought I was an only child. And uh, I said, you are, Simone. She said, no, you said you gave a child up for adoption. And I said, I did. But I said I wasn't a mother to that child. And I shared the situation with her. I was in high school, junior in high school. And and, uh, and then I'd gone to that unwed mother's home and that uh, I felt like the best thing to be would to uh, give that child to a family that could be a real family to that child because at that point I wasn't ready to. And I said, you're the only child that I've ever been a mother to. I said, I believe that a mother is someone that uh, takes care of you from the day that you're born, goes through all of your sicknesses and, and all of your growth problems, you know, all of your school problems, all of your dating problems, and is always there for you. And I said, I've done that with you, Simone. Because it was like seven years in the program. And I said, you are the only child that I've ever had, ever been a mother to. And uh, she said, what if that kid came to our door right now? What would you do? And I said, uh, I would probably say you've satisfied your curiosity. This is who I am, and this is what I look like. And you go back home and you thank the lady that's been your real mother to you all these years for being there for you. She said, what if she was an alcoholic or an addict and was looking for help? I said, I would give her an AA phone number. But I said, I don't have any feelings for that person at all in my life. And she will not be a part of my life. And because through the years I have seen people and those kind of circumstances go back and try to make amends like that, and my gosh, they have turned into horrible, horrible situations and has caused tremendous uproar in the current family. And because I'm making amends with the current family that I love and am part of and they're part of me, I would not bring an outsider like that in to cause chaos into a situation where we're trying to change and live in recovery. And Simone started crying, and she said, You lied to me. I'm not an only child. And she said, I can't accept this, Mom. And uh, I said, I'm sorry I'm not the mother you thought I was, but I am who I am, and I can't change that. And she didn't talk to me for three days. It was very painful, very painful. 
And uh, I just kept praying, God, please let her find her answers. And she came back to me three days later, and she said, Mom, I've done some writing, and I talked to my sponsor, and she said, I want to make amends to you. She said, I have butted in and judged you for a period of your life before I was ever involved in it, and it's really none of my business. And she said, I love you very much. And she said, I'm so grateful that God gave you to me as a mother. A very healing situation for us. And uh, I've never regretted her knowing that. I've never regretted going through that experience, even though it was painful. It made it has made me a better mother to her. And I believe it's made her a better mother to her child, to our granddaughter. Because it makes us aware of the sensitivity of the people we live with. You know, there's a lot of things that go on in the disease of alcoholism that we can never, never go back and change. But we're talking about living in recovery and making those wrongs right. You can never make a wrong right with doing something else wrong to cover up for it. I used to tell lies and cover it up with a lie and then cover it up with a lie and then forget the lies I'd told and I'd start over with something else and I told so many lies when I got to doing my inventory. I didn't, there was parts of my inventory that I didn't know were true or false. You know, and so my sponsor helped me dig through all that muddle to find out the truth and most of what was going on in my head and my mind with the guilt and the things that I had done weren't as grandioso as I thought they were, bottom line. And so we're no big deals in here. I had a lady call me today that uh, she's starting her fourth step. And she said, I don't know if I want to tell you all of these things. You know, she's just uh, getting out of a marriage. And she was in the marriage, I don't know how long, quite a few years. It was her third husband. They were both in the program, and it didn't work out for them. And they got a divorce. And uh, she said, there was a lot of things that I did in that marriage with him that I'm very ashamed of. And you and I have a very good relationship. And I'm afraid if I do my fifth step with you, we won't have the same relationship again. And I said, oh, my gosh. I'm 28 and a half years in this program. There is only so many things that a human being can think and do, and I think I've heard a lot. I mean, I won't tell you guys right here in this meeting some of the things that I've heard, but whoa. I have heard some outlandish stuff. Uh, I sponsored a gal that was a butcher at Alpha Beta, and after I heard her sex inventory, I wouldn't buy meat there anymore. Uh, <laughs> and she didn't know amends to anybody but Alpha Beta and a few, quite a few customers, and it was better for her to keep her mouth shut about all of that, I'll guarantee you. But I didn't, I didn't shop there anymore. <laughs> So there's a lot, a lot of things. And you sit there, oh my. <laughs> well, we're going to start over. You should quit doing those kind of things. Hmm. <laughs> the uh, hardest fifth step I ever received was a young girl. Her dad was an alcoholic and uh, her mother was just like me. And uh, I cried through her whole inventory. She wasn't. I was. Because it felt like I was probably listening to my daughter's inventory. And it was very painful for me, but it was very cleansing, and it helped me understand a lot more about my daughter. So it helped me. See, working with others is the answer to everything. Everything. I remember Keith used to go meetings with this guy, and uh, every time he'd have a problem, he'd fight with his wife, and he'd call his sponsor, and his sponsor would say, it's in the big book. And so he'd read in the big book, you know, and uh, and uh, 
He'd get mad and they'd have a fight and he'd call his sponsor and tell them what they had a fight over and he'd say, read the chapter working with others. It's in the big book. And he told us one time, he said, I have read that big book and the working with others chapter so many times and it doesn't say anything in there about meatloaf. Because <laughs> they fought about her making crappy meatloaf all the time and, and she loved to make it and he hated to eat it. And uh, he couldn't find anything in the big book working with others about meatloaf. But uh, working with others is our answer to everything. We come in here, we fall in love with a group, we fall in love with a sponsor, and then we start helping newer people and sponsoring newer people, and we fall in love with them, and then we take it home because we have softened. It is amazing how working with others has softened me through the years. The lady you see standing here right now is nothing like I was 28 years ago. And uh, Cindy R. sitting here, and she's got 21 years this month, and you can talk to Cindy about what I was like just 21 years ago. I nailed her against a tree one time in her face, telling her what she was doing wrong. And uh, I haven't nailed any. I never hit her. I can't hit anybody anymore. I didn't hit her, but she heard me, and she couldn't get away at the time. And uh, so working with others has definitely softened me up. <laughs> uh, there's no tree people in here tonight. So, so we need to remember that we do not take progress in our program to this ninth step until we are there with a sponsor. That is so important to remember. And I believe in the eighth step we talked about our names being on that eight step list. And I think it's very important for our name to be on that eight step list because my amends to myself is working with others. And to see somebody else's patterns and recognize that they're mine. I have found out more of my character defects with two things in this program, working with others and being involved in service. Those two things have pointed out my character defects more than anything other than the alcoholic. The alcoholic points out a lot of my character defects still today. He does it in a much more loving way today. But he points out my character defects to me and I do not resent it. It helps me. It helps me. Uh, the other day I, I left the house and, uh, and I was in a hurry and he got home before I did and he said, you didn't lock up the sliding glass door. You left it wide open. What is wrong with you? And I said, oh my God. I said, we're very fortunate that people weren't checking out our house right now. He said, yes, we are. And he said, what happened to you? And I said, my head's up my ass. I had a lot of things to do and I was in a hurry. I said, thank you for pointing that out to me because it's going to make me more conscious of what I need to do before I leave this house now. And uh, so that's the way we talk. It says, more gentleness, tolerance, and acceptance along with our own sense of dig dignity did much to restore inner harmony. Inner harmony. That's talking about within our families and within myself. Doing these things, make, making amends is very humbling experience. It does not humiliate me. It humbles me because I'm being honest. And what I've learned about honesty is that you cannot hurt me if I'm honest with you. If I tell you everything about me and I am honest, open and honest with you, you can't hurt me because I've told you. Therefore, if I hear you saying anything about me to anybody else, it is not gossip. It's the truth. And so you can't gossip about me if I'm open and honest. And that's the way I choose to live my life today. Uh, in some cases, it seemed best to do nothing, and we talked about that. This process of loving remembrance served as a reminder of what we wanted to be, how we wanted to relate to everyone in our lives. Little by little, this remembering helped us to do better each day.
And that's what this is all about. In thinking it over, it says, One thing is certain, this step is a test of my honesty. And like the other steps, it reminds me of the importance of humility. Finally, if I can do step nine, full justice, I will have brought myself to the threshold of the three spiritual steps which follow it. So one more time, these steps are in order the way they are for a purpose because the next three steps uh, are the ones that we're going to use for the rest of our life living in this program. The last three steps are maintenance steps. One thing that I want to point out um, about uh, if you really want to make direct amends to somebody, I think I shared earlier in one of the other steps about a lady that used to be in uh, my home group, and she um, wanted to be me, basically. She told me that. She said, there will be a day I will be you. And she looked like me, dressed like me, got her hair done like me, and even told me one day, you know, there, I've read everything you've read. There will be a day I will be you. And it scared the hell out of me. And I told her I couldn't sponsor her anymore. And uh, because I wanted her to be her, and uh, I did not... Uh, I had taken her um, to get her hair done. Uh, When she came in the program, she looked like she was 50 years old. And she was only 30. And she had very long hair. And the front half of her hair was bleached totally white, and the back of it was a dark brown. And she would tie it up and wear it in a knot on top of her head. And so after she got into recovery for a while, um, everybody was talking to her about fixing herself up. And uh, so I told her how I thought she'd look really cute with a new hairdo. I took her to my hairdresser. They cut her hair. They fixed it. They they uh, highlighted it, and she looked so cute. Then I took her to Nordstrom's, and they did her makeup for her. And then she started dressing like me in the whole bit. I really uh, was making her me without knowing it. And that was my part in that whole deal that I found out afterwards that I'd, I really did her an injustice. She wasn't her. She was me. And, uh, and then when she told me that, I realized how insane all of that was. And I made amends to her and told her I couldn't sponsor her anymore. I'd done her a great injustice. And she was so obsessed with me. And she'd call Keith and Simone and tell them that they, to tell me that I had to sponsor and all that stuff. And they'd say, no, that's between you and her. So uh, I'd go to my meetings, and she would be there talking to other girls about me. And when I would walk up, she'd turn around, oh, hi, Sue, how are you? And she'd give me a hug. And uh, it was really, I told my sponsor, I said, she's so two-faced. If she does that to me one more time, it's parking lot time. And my sponsor said, what's parking lot time? And... uh, I had to explain to her. So anyway, my sponsor told me, if you're really serious about making amends to her, and see what I found out with that, that if I hugged her, if I touched her one more time, I was going to hit her. And uh, my sponsor had told me to pray about it. And so I would go to meetings. I couldn't stand to look at her in the meetings. And so I'd go to meetings and I'd sit right next to her because when you're sitting next to somebody, you don't have to look at them. And uh, so uh, I knew I needed to make amends to her. And uh, she was there exactly nine months, nine months. And my sponsor told me I had uh, eight years at the time and she had two. And my sponsor said, you will not change meetings. This is your home group meeting. It has been your meeting for the last eight years. You will not let her run you out. You will sit on your time. And God, I go to the Tuesday night meeting and go, oh God. And I'd see her doing that and I just wanted to knock the heck out of her. And so she did that one night and she turned around and my sponsor told me to pray about it and she turned around to give me that phony hug and I looked at her and I said, no thank you. She said, what? 
I said, no, thank you. I can't do this anymore. The game's over. So then she started telling everybody I was very unloving, that I wouldn't hug her. And girls that I sponsor come to me, why won't you hug her? I said, you don't understand. For me to not touch her is the most loving thing I can do for her right now because if I touch her, she's going to be on the ground. And uh, so uh, some of them understood, some of them didn't. And that was okay because I understood and my sponsor understood. And my sponsor just kept telling me to pray about it. So one night I went in there and she was doing that and uh, talking about me and somebody said, Susie, and she turned around and I said, uh, and this is what you do if you're really serious about making amends and you want to get somebody, uh, you want to make it completely right. And I knew to stop this, I had to make it completely right. And I went up to her and I said, uh, Phyllis, I owe you amends. What can I do to make this right? I know you have a lot of resentments toward me. And the only way I can make amends to you is to do what you think is right for me to do. And if you're serious about making amends, that's what you say. What can I do to make this right? And she looked at me and she said, Oh, nothing, Sue, nothing. It's okay. And I thought, Whoa, I am free. I am free. But I had to do it being willing to do whatever she had said to me. And uh, she didn't have anything specifically for me to do and I was free. And it wasn't but a couple of weeks after that that uh, a newcomer was leading the meeting and it, this gal started, uh, another gal in there started talking about her husband having the alcoholic, having a mole removed from his back, and they thought it was cancerous. And so the next three people that shared, shared on, oh, I know somebody that has cancer. And, and so this gal, this Phyllis, she said, yeah, I had an aunt that had moles, and they all turned out cancerous, and she didn't live. And, and this newcomer said, excuse me. This is a meeting to recover from the disease of alcoholism. If you need a meeting to survive the disease of cancer, there are support groups for that. Thank you for sharing. And she started clapping. And her and four women got up and walked out the door and went, Yay, God. It's the last time she was ever in my meeting. And it took a newcomer. I didn't have to do anything. A newcomer focused on what this program is about and what it's supposed to be and didn't let any outside issues water it down. And the people that wanted to be whoever they were, what they were, not work a program, had to leave because it was brought out into the open that they weren't practicing the all-known principles in that meeting. And they left. And I was grateful. So in the AA 12 and 12, there's a lot of things in here. It says at the bottom page 86 in the AA 12 and 12, do we lay the matter before our sponsor or spiritual advisor, earnestly asking God's help and guidance? Meanwhile, resolving to do the right thing when it comes clear, cost what it may. And I think that's what we were just, I was just talking about. Of course, there is no pat answer which can fit all such dilemmas. But all of them do require a complete willingness to make amends as fast and as far as may be possible in a given set of conditions. And when Keith and I, there's also uh, financial amends that have to be made when we get this program. My husband had big financial amends to make. I did not get involved in that. I knew what he was doing, but I never asked any questions, and I let him do exactly what he had to do to make his financial amends. Thank God. Because when the feds came after him at 10 years sober and they asked me questions, I absolutely did not have any of their answers. And that was my amends to my husband during that period of time to stay out of his program, stay out of his business, and let him do what he had to do 
to make his amends and not get involved and not butt in. And uh, it worked out very well for me for that reason. So um, we have to be careful of getting involved in situations with the drinker because we might pay the consequences. I remember one time I took a lady uh, from this group years ago. She was leaving her children with the drunk. And he was drinking and he was also snorting coke. And she was leaving her children, small, small children, with him while she was going to meetings. And we would tell her, you need to get a babysitter. That is very dangerous for you to leave those small children with him, knowing that he's drunk and loaded and using while you're gone. No, 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 I can't afford it, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> so one night uh, when I was going in on to CIW on the prison panel, I took her with me. And... Uh, she was talking about being new and going to meetings and that her husband was uh, still actively drinking and that she he would babysit for her while she was going to meetings and uh, you know that she knew that he was into coke quite often and one of the inmates in that prison stood up and yelled at her and said you crazy bitch Why do you think some of us are in here? If you leave your kids with that man knowing he's doing what he's doing and anything happens to them, you are an accessory and you will be in here just like me. And after that, there was no price too big to pay for a babysitter. I mean, she heard it like she needed to hear it. So, uh, and that was her amends to her children at the time for staying with active alcoholism. Taking care of them, being responsible, growing up and being responsible and doing the right thing for our children is living amends. And that lady started doing it right with them. So, uh, we need to be very, very careful. We blame a lot of family members and everybody else for things that we did. I think it's... Uh, I don't know if it's in the big book. I can't remember if it's in the big book or the AA 12 and 12. It talks about making amends for infidelity. And it highly suggests that you don't involve details and names. Because you will end up owing amends to two more people. So uh, it talks about that in the middle of page 81 in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. How much to tell a spouse when making amends. And it's half of that page and it goes over into the next page. And uh, because you can't bring third parties in, then you owe more amends. So be careful when you're making these amends. Leave out details of who and what and when. Now, uh, in the big book, on page 77, it tells you exactly how to make direct amends. Um, the fourth line down in the second paragraph. The question of how to approach a man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our formal ill feelings and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking or out of insanity until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile 
can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own faults. So feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the bridge. So it doesn't matter if you like a person or not. You have got to make those amends, just like I talked about with that Phyllis. It didn't matter what she thought about me. It didn't matter if she accepted them or not. And I know a lot of people that have made amends that were not accepted. And I was talking earlier about financial amends. I uh, had worked for a car dealer. And... Uh, when Keith and I were first married, and I had to balance the cash register every day. And if it was over, I took it, and if it was under, I put in, because I wasn't very good at balancing cash registers and receipts. And I came out the end of the year with more overage than underage. <laughs> and what I did for Christmas is buy Keith a new leather coat with what I'd made out of that cash register. And it wasn't a lot of money. But what bothered me, it was a man that respected me and that I respected him and loved him very much. And he had uh, acted like a father to me after my father had passed on. And so I'd known him for years. And it gnawed at me. And so one time when we went back to our hometown, I went in to see him, and he wanted to know how we were doing and everything. And uh, I told him, and I said, you know, I, I really have a problem, and I need to straighten it out with you. And I need to be honest with you. And I told him what I'd done. And he laughed, and he said, I knew you were doing that. He said, I knew it all along. I said, why didn't you say something to me? And he said, it wasn't that much. And I said, well, I know how much the coat cost. And here's the money, and I want to pay it back. He said, Sue, it's not necessary. And I said, it is for me. And he said, okay, babe. I'll take it under those circumstances. Yeah. And it was a tremendous, tremendous relief, tremendous feeling of freedom. I didn't have to dodge that man anymore. See, what I know about this step is it, a, it is a freedom step. It is the step that gives us freedom. We don't have to cow down to anybody anymore. We don't have to walk around on the other side of the street to avoid people. Our fear of people will leave us, which comes to the bottom of page 83 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. <coughs> I like it, uh, the paragraph before the last paragraph on this page. God, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And this is the purpose of this step, is that it gets rid of all of that self-degradation. It gets rid of all of that guilt. And so once we do this step, here are the promises for step nine. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of usefulness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. That means to me that we're going to be working with others and we'll think more about them than ourselves. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. 
Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that a God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them, which means we have to take the action. Keith's father passed away on December the 17th. And he'd been uh, sick for about three years. But the last uh, year, he was bedridden. In, uh, it was in September or October. He was uh, 89 years old, and he had uh, 27 and a half years of sobriety. He was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and had been for 27 and a half years. And uh, he called Keith. And I have Keith's permission to share this story. And he called Keith and he said, I want to die and I can't. And he said, uh, I know it's because I have not cleaned up some of the wreckage of my past. And he, had, he said, I have to make things right with you. I've done some things for your stepsister that I have not done for you. And I'm going to equal that out, and I'm going to make it a clean slate. And he said, please accept it. That was in October, and he passed away December the 17th. He had to take the right actions. You know, once he was able to do that, he was free. What an example of how this step works. You see, God won't take junk. It doesn't matter what we do to ourselves. Many times before this program, uh, I tried to commit homicide, and then I was going to commit suicide afterwards because I was never going to prison. But my main goal was to do away with my husband and my daughter. I used to debate back and forth, should I kill Simone first or should I kill Keith first? If I kill Simone first, Keith will try to stop me. If I kill Keith first, Simone will see it and she'll think bad about me and it'll warp her mind. And I'd vacillate back and forth. And then I'd think after I'm done with them, I'm going to do me. Because our life was in the toilet with alcoholism. I didn't know what, I had no answers. I didn't know that was the problem. And I was just tired of living like I was. And I knew the only way at that time to get rid of what was going on in our home was death. Many times I just turned on the gas. Our whole house was gas. The stove, the oven, the fireplace, everything was gas. And I'd turn it all on after they go to bed and go to sleep, and then I'd go in and go to bed myself. And Keith woke up and, Jesus Christ, what are you trying to do? Kill all of us? And I'd go, yeah. And he'd open all the doors and windows and stuff. There were other ways that I tried to plan it. I was... uh I was never suicidal if I'm just out of here. Uh, it wasn't worth that. I'm not going to kill myself over him. Uh, and I knew that if I did that, I probably wouldn't uh, be successful at it. That I'd probably end up lame and in a wheelchair and, you know, half a brain and be worse living in total living hell, you know. Not being able, you know, like be stuck in your body and not be able to communicate and all this stuff's going on, that would be living hell to me. So that's what I thought the consequences would be for me if I just did myself. So my main goal was always to do them. And uh, I had uh, four years in the program, and Keith was working in Bakersfield, and I went up 
to Bakersfield, and we knew some people up there, and we went to a meeting with them. In this meeting was a lady in a wheelchair, and uh, everybody was asking her how she was doing and all that kind of stuff, and she said, I'm doing much better, you know. And so it was pretty obvious that she had not always been in a wheelchair. And so after the meeting, I went up to her and I said, what happened? She said, I got tired of living with a drunk. And I tried to commit suicide, and all I did was paralyze myself from the waist down. And I thought, but for the grace of God. Many, many times, my gratitude is overwhelming. Last night, uh, Wednesday night, when we went to prison, there was a beautiful young lady in there. Beautiful, little blonde petite gal. 21 years old, just got it uh, committed to CIW. 25 to life. 21 years old. Now, to get 25 to life, you have to have committed cold blood murder. Premeditated. It wasn't spousal abuse. It wasn't uh, running in a car wreck. It was cold-blooded murder. 21 years old. And I thought, but for the grace of God. So, I get to see failures of things that I wanted to do with through other people. The good news is, is I get to see a lot of successes. One of them is my sponsor. Her family has been put back together because of this program. AA, Al-Anon, and Alateen. She had four children. When her husband got sober and she got to Al-Anon, and they made their children go to Alateen. What a great example she is to our family. Known her ever since I've been in this program. She's only been my sponsor for... uh, Almost four years now, but I've known her for 28 and a half years. And she said, took you long enough. And uh, I love her to death because, in my opinion, the things that her and her family does, even her grandchildren are going to Alateen now. But I get to look at many things One of the reasons I love going to prison is because uh, I believe that God puts us or lets us go and end up where we will be the most useful to him. A lot of you have heard me share about Leslie Van Houten, one of the Manson girls one of my very dear friends, and I talked to her last Wednesday night. And uh, her life is tremendous. She lived on death row for five years until the state passed the no death penalty law. And she'll probably live the rest of her life in that prison. She's in her 60s, probably closer to 70, and the other Manson girls. But I don't know anybody that knows how to work these steps and take another person through these steps better than her. She loves recovery. And she's passing on recovery in that prison. I go out to that prison not because I'm a big deal. I go out to that prison so I remain grateful. So I remain uh, conscious of what my past and was and who I am and what I could be and what didn't happen to me. And it's a great lesson for me. Uh, I shared in that meeting Wednesday night how uh, an ex-convict lady ended up in our meeting last Saturday night and she looked like a convict, big time. 
She did not look like a lady. One of the guys in the Keese group even went up to her and said, Hi, dude, how you doing? <laughs> and I judged the hell out of her. And I went and sat down, and I had to get back up and go talk to that lady. Because CIW means so much to me and has helped me see me so much. And if I shined on an ex-convict that shows up in one of my meetings, what a hypocrite I would be. And I had to tell them that out there in that prison Wednesday night of what I did. And you know what? They loved me for being honest with them. And after the meeting, a girl came up and said that her mother's going to our Saturday morning meeting and she gets out next month and she can't wait to come to our Saturday morning meeting with her mother. I never know. You see, I think amends to me and to my God is carrying this message in any way I can. And I don't keep track. I don't keep track. I don't know who gets the message. I just have to carry it. That's my responsibility. That's what my God wants me to do. That's why I'm here. That's why I have the time I have. It's because of that responsibility I have to my God. That's my amends to my God on a daily basis. It's to recognize that He saved my life and let me have a second chance because God doesn't take junk. And as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this program and keeping my side of the street clean on a daily basis, I'm going to be okay. And so is my family. We got a call from uh, Simone the other day, and uh, they're doing uh, skiing up in the Alps. And they were going home today, but they've been up there ever since December the 27th. And Nicole had been taking ski lessons. And Nicole conned her ski teacher because she had heard that when you get through with your ski lessons, that if you're good, you get a medallion. And so she made him a picture and told him, you know, you keep that and it will remind you of me. And maybe one day you'll want to give me something to remind me of you. And she's so clever. They'd watched a Western movie and uh, and they were on horses and riding. She and Simone said Nicole was really into it and everything. And she liked Henry Fonda. He was the hero of the movie and all that stuff. And at the end of the movie, Henry Fonda gets on this ship and he's sailing away from shore. And he's it shows him looking out the porthole of the ship. And Nicole looked at Simone and Fabio and said, "So what happened to him? He ended up stuck in a washing machine." Now, those are the little things that I look at that if I hadn't been able to work a program, make amends to my daughter, I would never hear those kind of things. I would never hear those kind of things. What a blessing this program is. I know this program works, but I know it has to be done and the actions have to be taken exactly the way they are outlined in our literature. In the big book and the AA and the Al-Anon 12 and 12, it says in the big book, half measures avail us nothing. We can't do this half-assed. We get nothing out of it. You put into it everything you've got and then some, and you will get it back ten, twenty-fold, I guarantee. Your life will smooth out like you will not believe. Your values will change that you never dreamed you had. And good things will happen in your life. I know that. I don't know how many doomsday that I've been through. I don't know how many surrenders that I've been through in this program. And I kept trudging. And I kept trudging. And I didn't give up. And those things, the surrenders that we've gone through, have only been a step up to a higher level of serenity and spirituality for us. In our marriage, 
and in our relationship, and in our home, and in my relationship with my daughter, and with my community, and with you. Everything gets better if we do exactly the way it's outlined and follow sponsor direction. We can't do it by ourselves. It is not a do-it-ourself program. Sponsors need to be very involved in my life just like in yours on a regular basis. I can't do this myself. And I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful the promises have happened to me. I have gone through financial insecurities, but I wasn't afraid I have people I don't like, but I'm not afraid of them. I have to work this program even on people in this program. Did it today. Got a call from the delegate today asking me questions. How are you? Well, have you heard this and have you heard that? And you know what I know about being stupid? Sometimes it's the smartest thing to be. I don't have to act like it anymore. I know when to and when not to be. And I was very loving to her today, and I didn't know nothing. Isn't that great? And that was the hardest thing for me to do when I got this program site. I don't know it. It gets stuck right in my throat. But today, some of my amends to humanity and the world at large is saying, I don't know. Because you know what? Then they get to fix themselves. I can't do it. I'm not God. Thank you very much.